Yes, you've arrived at the Legend Podcast at DaxMyHand.com. How did I become a legendary sports figure? How does anyone become legendary? It starts with a coach. Join us as we have conversations with coaches of all ages, experience, and expertise, and find out what does it take to lead athletes to legendary status. You've done it again. We knew you would. You've listened to the podcast before, and you're back. Welcome to DaxMyHand.com. Got a story today of biblical proportions. The question I ask you, what if David, instead of slaying Goliath, became Goliath? This is the story of Berlin Brower, the coach at McCracken County. The inaugural season of McCracken County High School, they won the Region 1 Championship. Why is that a big deal? I'll tell you why. The two previous Goliaths in the region, Marshall County and Graves County, took the better part of a decade to win their region, and in fact, even over a decade. But they won it in their first season. So the question you would ask yourself is, why would McCracken, this Goliath, go after Berlin Brower? I'll tell you why. They went after a David. A David who grew up, where else? Carlisle County, the ultimate David of Kentucky high school basketball. You remember them, the Comets, the 1983 state runner-up in basketball. Berlin Brower was raised in the shadow of that team. He learned at the feet of the master, Craner Sloan, the coach of that team. We've got Berlin Brower, the uh, head basketball coach at McCracken County, a uh, longtime friend of mine. We played high school ball against each other. And so, Berlin, I've got to, the first question I've got to ask you today is, when did you first meet the legend? I guess it was probably on a scout report. Uh, I mean, I think it said you could shoot. wasn't very mobile, but uh, I don't know. That's really a long time ago. I don't know if that's what it actually said. I'm just saying that now. But um, I do remember playing Marshall at Marshall when I was at Carlisle. And I'm leave, I really remember that game being really close in the third quarter, at the end of the third quarter. Uh Marshall pulled away. Y'all shot a lot of free throws like always at Marshall. And uh, I think I learned then that uh, you just don't beat Marshall at Marshall. You know, um, whoever did that scouting report obviously didn't didn't do a good job of getting the big picture on me. <laughs> but, I, you know, I do remember that. And, and you know, Berlin, I remember the first time playing you uh, was over at Marshall when you were playing for Carlisle County. And the thing I remembered about you guys was how scrappy you were and how – you know, I was bleeding after the game. Y'all scratched, <laughs> you know, you clawed and, and, you know, but y'all, but man, we knew that we were a lot bigger school and, and probably had more talented players or at least a, a better depth of them. But man, when we played Carlisle County, it was a battle and we were in for a battle. And I even recall, I believe, uh, our senior year of high school, we played y'all in the regional and y'all were the closest game we had in the regional that year. I'm, well, I'm pretty sure yeah, of that. I think both those years, even my junior and senior year, both those games, we played Marshall first round and both those games came down to, I think, the final few minutes or whatever. And, and you know, and that's, that's a small school, mm-hmm. Carlisle, the, the Hickman counties, the, those counties that just really have – it means so much. I mean, so every loose ball is a little more of a loose ball to them, and they feel like they got to have it. It just means more. Yeah, the, the smaller schools, uh, you always hear them say, they're, they're scrappy. And Carlisle's that way. You know, there's they play baseball at Carlisle. 
but it was like I've always said. We, we played baseball at Carlisle, but about five minutes after that baseball game was over, we threw those cleats down. We were back up playing a, a pickup game. And that has a lot to do with the success in the early 80s of the Carlisle, the, the 83 team that mm-hmm. Craner Sloan them had a state championship. Now, you watched that, and you, you saw all the loyalty and, and everything that everybody gave to that team. You wanted to grow up and be one of those guys. 83, you and I were, what, about sixth, sixth grade. grade? Yeah. I later played Legion ball and I had Dave Henley as one of my assistant coaches who I, I love Dave to death. And of course he's been a very successful high school coach and won the state championship here in Kentucky. Talk about the fact that, that you realize a team that small could get to the state championship game and ball rights could have won that game. Maybe it went to what oh, double or triple, triple overtime. Triple overtime yeah. yeah. Talk about oh. how that affected you and your career and, and as a player and as a coach. And, well, I was there. I mean, I remember seeing the game. I remember going up and watching the whole, state tournament and i was also fortunate my senior year craner sloan came back and coached me but we just talked a lot about that and and i do remember the uh the whole state tournament and i remember watching da and i used to watch them all the time when we were young because that was all you did in carl county hey, you had channel three six and twelve at that time and channel three didn't come in very often so on a tuesday and friday night that's what you went to do you know there wasn't 30 college basketball games on and five nba games to watch you wanted to go watch the high school game, so it was all you did. But I do remember the game went to triple overtime. I remember Carlisle getting the tip. Each, at each end of overtime, we'd have the tip, and they would run the clock down, and they would run it down to the last shot. Final score was 35-33 in triple overtime. I remember the kid from Henry Clay taking the shot. It basically was an air ball. And another kid tipped it in at mm-hmm. the buzzer to give him the 35-33 lead. He said, Berlin, when I beat Owensboro, I thought I had it. He said, I really – he thought Owensboro had the best team there. Ironically, uh, Owensboro was really good this year too. Okay. But <laughs> he said, I really thought Owensboro had the best team. And they did, I think, too, because the more we talked about it. That was amazing. And, and the other big amazing thing about that team was, yeah, there's a lot of small schools in eastern Kentucky have made runs at and even won it. But go back and see how many of those kids went to elementary school together. That's right. I mean, uh, you know, there's been some private schools that won it. But, you know, those kids didn't even know who each other were until they were juniors in high school. Carlisle, every one of those kids went to elementary school there, every single one of them. So this was a team that was basically born, bred, and raised in Carlisle. So it wasn't like we had any kids to move in. So that was pretty special about it. And they were so disciplined. And like I say, D.A. was a great player, Philip Hall, uh, David Rambo, and those guys. I actually got to uh, coach with John Tyler. He gave me my first coaching job okay. right out of college. At, uh, at Carlisle County, Yeah, when right. John was a head coach there, uh, I coached with him for a couple years before I came to Heat. Coach Sloan, his philosophy and style was a lot like Alan Hatcher's that Extremely I played for. Extremely like it. Very much like it. Yeah, both were a lot alike. Very eerie. And what got you into coaching? I know you you went from being a player. Went to Shawnee and played a couple of years for Jim Bicey, which, you know, Jim Bicey's Hall of Fame in Illinois. I mean, that guy, you talking about the running gun. He, t- he took over that Loyola Marymount style. Uh, oh, we put up a bunch. We give up a bunch, too. <laughs> so uh, that was kind of his philosophy, which was really neat because I go from Craner Sloan's extremely passive offense to another type of offense. So I was had an opportunity to, to play under bowl. And Craner was an extremely disciplined defensive guy to where we were kind of like hurry up and shoot so we can get the ball back yeah. in college. Come down the first time you saw the orange of the rim, you're supposed to shoot it. Comprainer was – it's got to be a great shot before you even think about it, and then double check again. Because we, hey, we were very, we were just really disciplined with the ball, and uh, and there's a lot of coaches like that in that area, and and you know, Craner was very successful at it. Oh yeah, it's, there's a lot of ways to win. 
different ways to win. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you win, that's what it's about. Yeah, that, right? You have to. You've got to figure out what you're best at. So what uh, what propelled you to decide to, that you want to be a coach? Or what was your thought process there? Well, I just enjoyed it, you know, the competitiveness of it. And I always loved the game. Finishing up at Shawnee, had a couple other offers to go different places. And then uh, John Tyler was actually an assistant for Craner and I would go out to the high school some and, and they talked we talked and I ended up going and started helping coaching him and I would finish up at Murray and, and Carlisle worked with me and gave me a job substitute teaching some while I was coaching and I just finished up at Murray and done that. And I it just seemed like it I, I was very fortunate. I, I they let me coach middle school basketball and I had a really good group of kids and uh what they were successful and it just kind of propelled me into that's what I wanted to do. So I know uh, we talked about some of your early jobs. I think uh, you were at Carlisle, and then you, you actually coached baseball uh, some pretty early yeah. on. Well, I actually was head coach at Carlisle, too, for baseball. Well, Carlisle put me to work right off the bat. You know, we don't have a lot of – I think my first year uh, – yeah, I guess it was my, my second year there. My first year as a teacher, when they hired me as a teacher, I was a seventh-grade head coach, eighth-grade head coach, freshman basketball coach, only assistant – and JV coach on the varsity, and I was a head baseball coach, which was probably a good thing. I still I tell my wife that kept me from kept me out of trouble. I was coaching five nights a week, and you know, Wednesday we would have off. But uh, and I did. I had a really good baseball team there. I, uh, my first year there, we uh, I mean I think I think it was the first time we Carlisle ever went five hundred in baseball, and I had a, re- a couple of really good players. They'd actually played in the Paducah area. Had a kid named Travis Christ that was just a had a cannon. He was a catcher. I had him and actually Chris Garrett's the AD now. Uh, well, I had those guys. Mm-hmm. He was a senior, and we could flat hit it. I mean, we could hit the baseball. We didn't have much pitching, but I had about five or six of those guys hit close to five hundred. We would just hammer it out. Pitching wins baseball, but they, those guys finished right at five hundred. And then the next year, after Garrett and him had graduated, the next team came in. We went over five hundred with that bunch, and I actually beat. Uh, I think your brother. I don't know if your brother was still at Reeland then or not, but Reeland was twenty eight and five, and we beat them at Carlisle that day. It may very well be. And he, I remember uh, him telling me uh, that Carlisle did have a good team because you know I don't even think we ever played Carlisle mm-hmm. when I was at Marshall, mm-hmm. and so I never really had gotten a look at you guys. And yeah, Brandon told me. In fact, uh, we were in um, Hickman County or in Clinton uh, a year or two ago. And a guy come up to me and said, "Hey, man, I played against your brother when he was at Reedland, and and he talked about what a good player my brother was and stuff." And then, so I got the name and I asked him. That may have been who I was talking to. He t- well, my yeah. brother said, "Oh yeah," I said he could play, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, that, that's uh, it's funny how you just run across people all the time yeah. that know each other when you get sports. That's a really great thing about sports. I know uh, later on you became the uh, basketball coach here at Heath, yes. uh, at Heath High School. Well, I've been assistant coach with Heath for a while with Coach Long, and then he retired. And then I took uh, over as a head coach. We struggled early. I remember we we uh, we lost some games early. We should have won, but then it seemed like about about the first of January uh, we started really clicking. And uh, matter of fact, uh, it really turned the tables right before the All A. We beat Marshall here. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Remember we came in here and uh, had a kid named Eric Straub could flat shoot the ball. Mm-hmm. He could. Uh, he was a Heck of a player. And I had some other guys. So we started rolling at that end of the year. We actually played Lone Oak first round of the district. Lone Oak had won 20 games. We beat Lone Oak. We go to the regional tournament. Tillman beat us here in double overtime in the district championship game. And we were that close to pulling that out. And they had a heck of a team. They had Josh Forrest was a young kid in. And so we, uh, we about pulled that out. Then my next year we came back and uh, had a really good athletic team. 
that was the year we ended up getting upset in the All-A. We were the number one team in the All-A. We got over, we couldn't throw it in the ocean. Fulton County with uh, Jeffrey McLean in them. Mm-hmm. They ended up beating us over there. We came back, got back to the regional tournament, played Fulton County first round, beat Fulton County, got to the semis, and Graves beat us. Mm-hmm. And it was a real close game there. That year was good. Then we came back the next year, had another good ball team. We won the All-A, got to the All-A State Tournament, won the first game of the All-A. We was real close in that game early, getting to the semis. Danville beat us. Mm-hmm. And uh, come back the next year, won the All-A again, went to the semifinals of the All-A State Tournament. And uh, was, I had a really good basketball time. I was real fortunate to have some really good kids. I had a Drew Robinson kid, the Jacob Jett kid. I mean, there's numbers of those kids that were really good basketball players. They they really learned how to play together good and and – we had some, you know, had some success with being disciplined. We needed, uh, we always needed more shooters. It seemed like when we got to the regional tournament those years, all those years, those games were close. But it just seemed like when you get to the regional tournament, I tell our kids now, it's not what you do well in the regional tournament. It's what you don't do. And the coaches in Region 1 are so good, yeah. they make you do what you're not good at. They're going to exploit it, and they're going to have a game plan on you. They're going to have a scouting report. And you're, you're, again, you've hit it right on the head. You're going to have to do what you don't like to do. Right. Yeah. And that's then both those times we got beaten in the real tournament, I felt like we just didn't do what we were not good at to get through because they're going to make you do that. Talking about your time at Heath, you know, Heath has always been known really predominantly as a, as a football school. I mean, mm-hmm. back in the 80s when I was a kid and they won a state title, I know, mm-hmm. during the 80s. Maybe not so much as a basketball school during those periods. So what what would you say was the thing um, that you were able to come in? Marshall County really feared Heath. You know, you talk about y'all beat us over here. And, and I can I can be honest, back when I played, we, did, we didn't really fear Heath. Yeah. So what, what are some of the things you did to turn uh, it around here? I don't know. Coach Long approached me in a, about coming to Heath, and they offered me the head baseball job, and, and it was just a lot more money. And I, I wasn't really crazy about leaving Carlisle at that time. And uh, things happened, and John Tyler had moved on, and uh, Carl ended up hiring Brian, and which Brian's done a great job down there. Yeah. Uh, and I, I was still going to stay at Carlisle, and I was fine with that. Then Bill Bond called me, and he gave me a number, and he said, think about that. And I said, well, I don't know. He said, well, think about it. In two years, that's twice the amount of money. Three years, three times. And he said, and, he, and I go, all right, I'll be there. <laughs> I didn't think about it that way. I was like, okay, so it's, you know, with so many more thousand dollars, is that big a deal? But he said, yeah, but in two years, that's twice as much. In four years, that's even double again. Yeah. Think about over 10 years how much more money you made. I said, I'll be there Monday. <laughs> so uh, I come in and, boy, I, and I'm not going to lie, that first year I was at Heath, I, I told this story before. I thought, what have I gotten myself into? We just didn't have a lot of basketball talent. I don't think kids really took it very serious. I think my first year here we won five games as, as, the, as the varsity coach. Now, my JV teams had started getting a little better. My second year, the varsity didn't win but one game. And I'm pretty – I know it's for Christian – Christian Fellowship beat us. Wow. And, uh, but now they had Chris Johnson. Yeah, yeah. Chris they, Johnson was pretty good. Yeah, a former but, pro uh, athlete. Yeah. So. But he was pretty good. But uh, they beat us. And then that was the point. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what am I doing here? But I did have a really good freshman and JV team. And we kind of put – and then the next year, and that was Charlie Throgmorton and him. Mm-hmm. And we went on to uh, – we did have a good team. And we did get to the semifinals of regional tournament. So – we uh, and it just kind of snowballed from there, mm-hmm. and we started having some really good teams. And I know a few a couple of years later after that, we'd won the All A, mm-hmm. and um, 
So, yeah, we had some good basketball teams. Coach Long did a good job with them. So, you know, besides talent, was there – did you have to come in and make a mindset change with them, or was it from a development standpoint? What, what I think it was. I think it was. I think it was something that we wanted to do throughout the program. I think we'd we done some different stuff with our Little League programs, and we just uh, – we were more about going and being more aggressive with those kids. I know I would – as a JV freshman coach, I would – and helping with the freshmen, we would go get those middle schoolers that we thought were going to be really good players. And we started mixing classes together. And, and we really started doing that even more the next few years. If we had three good eighth graders and we had four good freshmen and the eighth graders were guards, the freshmen were post players, we started getting those guys together at an earlier age. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just seemed to kind of make our teams better prepared when they're freshmen. Now, what happens, too, is you got to get the sixth graders and the seventh graders successful. And People don't understand. Somebody says, oh, it doesn't matter whether you win in middle school. Well, times have changed. And what I mean by that is kids have to be successful. If they're not successful, if you've got a seventh-grade team that goes 0-20, they're not going to play. They're going to go play baseball. They're going to go play soccer. They're going to go do something else. So we started working more with our younger teams, our little league programs, and now these seventh-grade teams were successful. It may not be 20-0, and but at least they were 12-8. and And now I'm a basketball player at Heath. we got a good team. Now they're ready to put more time in it, and it just builds from there. If you're not successful, I say when that, when that ball goes rolling downhill, you better stop it yeah. because if you don't, it's going to snowball on you, and it's almost hard to get it turned back around. And you're going to lose grades there. You're going to you're going to have gaps in a program. And I know, especially a small school, man. If you if you lose a class or two of kids, you're in trouble. In a small school, you can have one bad class. And, and me and Brian O'Neill's talked about this before. So you can have one, but you can't have two. Mm-hmm. If you have two in a row, you're in trouble. If you have a bad class, you need to start getting that younger group playing with those guys. Mm-hmm. And hopefully those guys close that gap. So now you've got the t- year before and the year below it, and you've kind of put those together. So you don't have just that terrible year. Mm-hmm. That's what you have to do at a small school. And bigger schools, it's a little different. You know, yeah. you've got so many more kids to choose from. The big difference with a big school is you've got so many kids, you've got to be more choosy because mm-hmm. you don't need that eighth grader with a mustache and a beard that's six foot tall mm-hmm. out there being your start leading scorer down on the block. He's not going to grow. Mm-hmm. Now what you've done, you've got him out there and nobody else is learning how to play. Those are the things that kill you in programs. We know as you as you bring that up, that was a point I wanted to get with. So, so you know, you you've been at Heath, you played at Carlisle, you know, traditionally small schools. And so now you're at McCracken County. I mean, you're the biggest school in this end of the state. So talk about uh, some of the the differences, you know, in being at a school with 2,000 kids versus a a much smaller school. Talk about some of the differences you've seen in in doing that. Well, the big thing with a small school, and where small schools really have the bigger advantage, is uh, you take that lanky seventh grader, you see him as a coach. Well, wow, where'd this big kid come from? Whether he can dribble or not, you know him. So you work with that kid. That middle-range kid at a small school has more opportunity. And it is it is true. Uh, I know a lot of people may not understand that, but they have more opportunity because you're going you're gonna to work with that kid more. That same kid comes to McCracken County, and let's say we still have the small middle school, so we're still having – we're still having some success with that, and that's going to help this program out. But if you were at a big school, that kid gets lost in the shovel because he's not that good because you're having to cut 20 kids. You cut that kid because you keep 
the kid that's got the mustache that can dribble and finish around the rim and you thinking that's that's where we're, we're with our middle school coaches now make certain we got to make sure we're looking down the road not at just today when we're making our cuts and and that's hard to explain to parents too you know mm-hmm. well why did you keep this kid instead of mine well that kid's Got no hair on his legs, and he's already six one. And yeah, he's falling now when he shoots a layup, but he might be six eight. Yeah. That's what we're having to get our mindset of our, our, our middle school coaches to do, and to make sure we keep working with those kids. Like I said, that kid at Carlisle gets worked with every day. Matter of fact, if the eighth grade class is bad, he even gets played on the eighth grade team. Where if he's at, let's say Lone Oak Middle is the biggest of our three schools, and they probably do the most of the cutting. That kid may get cut, and we never know where he ends up at. He's in Reedland right now. We still have the small school. That kid's still going to get an opportunity to play. So that's where we are. And when we run into the same problem with our freshmen right now when they all come in, a lot of kids don't develop until they're juniors in high school. And like we just talked about myself, I was 5'3 as a sophomore. I would have never played at McCracken County. Mm-hmm. I was at Carlisle. End up getting to play, staying on the freshman team, working at. Well, I end up playing junior college basketball. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean that's a great point, and I know, you know, that's one that Marshall dealt with when I was in school. Uh, at that point in time, we were one of the few schools in the state that ninth grade was still in middle school, and so we had a North Marshall ninth grade team, we had a South Marshall ninth grade team, and a Benton ninth grade team. So in essence, Hatcher had another year of development he could do with those kids and give them an opportunity to play and all of a sudden now you're looking at you're really not looking at cutting anybody until they're sophomores or juniors you right. know and so so that that is uh i know there's a lot of pros and cons on that. we tried that my first year here as a head coach we we did run the two freshman teams now i felt like it was pretty good for us uh, we still run into the issue with kids going to different sports and um last year we only kept one freshman team and we just didn't feel like it was near as deep as that team uh we wanted to make certain we propelled them a lot of times you people don't understand what you do, but we know what we're doing with it because we looked at that freshman class. There was a couple of those three kids coming in, and we knew that we're going to have to have these kids quicker than we've ever had to have kids before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we went ahead and we said we're just going to do one freshman because it just wasn't very deep. The year before, we had a lot of kids that were bigger and stronger. They went 17, 18 deep, and it really went from 16th man to 5th man, probably 5th man, there was not much difference in any of those kids. So we couldn't even really go in there. You were guessing then. Mm-hmm. And we didn't really have, and we want to give those kids another year to develop. But last year's freshman team, we kept one because we didn't know we needed those kids a little quicker mm-hmm. than what we're going to need those other ones. Yeah. You know, uh, one question we like to ask people is, as a player, you have one mindset and perspective. But now that you're the coach, what, what was the biggest thing that surprised you when you got into coaching that you really hadn't anticipated? The preparation, I guess. Just because you watch the game, just because you play the game, don't mean you know the game. Not even close. I mean, from where I am now to where I was five years ago, mm-hmm. from where I was five years ago and compared to when I was even coming out of junior college basketball, you learn so much about simple things and about – so many different philosophies and, and my coaching staff and I, I've got a great coaching staff. I've got, I've had been very fortunate. Dustin Roberts has been with me. Mm-hmm. Three time all purchase player at Ballard, played college basketball. Andy Poor is a great coach. Yeah. Uh, I picked up Terry Shumpert when I came up. Those guys and, and Jeff Sturm, he actually worked at UK Athletics some mm-hmm. with the, so I've got a really good staff. I try to pick out one thing every year. And, um, it's, I've done this for about six years now, probably seven, whether it's the matchup zone. 
uh, dribble drive offense, um, ball screen offense. I pick out one thing in the off season and I just study it. And I really try to get that. There's been two or three things I picked up. I thought I was going to use. I didn't like it. The Syracuse zone. We we looked at it, and I, I spent tons of hours on it. We tried it in the summer. I, it just didn't work for us. Mm-hmm. It was just one of those things that didn't work. But I don't feel like that's a waste of time because that next year coming into it, my biggest rival right down the road, they ran the Syracuse zone, and I knew what beat us all summer with it, and it was big. We used that to uh, uh, beat them that year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I know it's amazing – you know, after having played for somebody like a Hatcher, who's who's a lot, again a lot like Sloan, is you realize that for every offense there is a counter defense to it, and vice versa. Wherever defense, and, and the key is knowing what to use when, and and knowing about it. So I, I see exactly what you're saying there. And I went to a lot about five years ago. I went up to listen to Billy Donovan talk, and uh, I just I, I, I kind of liked what he did. This was after he won the national championships a couple of them in a row. So I went up and listened to Billy Donovan up in Indianapolis. And uh, John Pelfrey was there, too. And John Pelfrey was at Arkansas at that time. So I, I got into the ball screen offense a lot because for everything you come off a ball screen, there's a counter to it. I mean, no matter how you defend it, whether you hedge hard, whether you double it, whether you go underneath it, I mean, you can really – but you got to have good guards. And they've got to read what the defense gives you. And uh, I, I picked that up in. So we've ran a lot of ball screen stuff. And, and if you watch an NBA game, so many times you go down the floor and so many times there's not a ball screen ran. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, and yeah. Billy Dahlman made the comment up here. He said, if the NBA is doing it at 80 something times, 80 something times a year, that's what they do. Be prepared for everybody to trickle down because that's all they do. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I picked up a lot of that, and John Pelfrey, he ran it at Arkansas. So I, I like the ball screen offense, and that's what that is all about. However you defend it, we've got to make certain our guards are fundamentally sound enough to make certain if you double that screen, double it. That's fine. i got two men on the ball. We're going to throw it somewhere else, and we're going to make you pay. If you hard hedge on it, we got to make certain the post guy slipping or popping and doing what he's supposed to. And you got to see it and get that mismatch. So, like you said, coaches, you, you adapt. Mm-hmm. What I ran in high school – what I did in college is nothing like we run as a coach. It's yeah. just not what I – I just didn't see what best fit our programs. Yeah, I, I agree. I know watching my son's middle school team, you know, their their offense is so foreign to anything. You know, and I was basically out of basketball for a lot of years until he got back into it. And the stuff that we used to run, you know, I just don't see it anymore. And mm-hmm. and and I and it's almost a foreign deal to me because I watch it and think, man, how would you defend that? And it's it's been mm-hmm. a real eye opener to me yeah. how things evolve. And I would probably first of January I'd say, guys, raise your hand if you set an illegal screen this year. Not a single kid on our team set an illegal screen. We ain't screen nobody. <laughs> and then we're wondering why we're struggling. You yeah. know, we can't get nobody open. Yeah. But. I, I do see that pendulum swinging back, and don't be surprised. I think, because I know we're going to start screening more people, people went to this pass four out one and passing cut and dribble drive. There's not screen set. Mm-hmm. Now, we still set a lot of ball screens, and coaches still work on that, but away screens, down screens, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, you know what, we're going we're gonna to make people start going back to defend them. If you're not, you're going to have to spend some practice time to get ready for it because you're going yeah. we're going to take up your practice time anyway. <laughs> yeah. so. Let's talk about something that we talk about a lot. And, you know, in our society and in sports today, people measure success a lot of times in wins, losses, championships, vice versa. You know, obviously it's easy to say, well, you know, Berlin was a success the first year at McCracken County because he won the regional championship. Um, and I would agree with that. 
But how how do you you know you can't win the championship every year. You're not going to. Nobody's going to. How do you measure success with each individual team you have? You know, regardless of what they do at the end of the year, is there is there do you have a different way yeah. of measuring that? Well, you know, we all look at wins and losses, but you know, I, you know, I can make a schedule out, give me a bunch of wins. That's not hard to do. And honestly, my problem with last year's basketball team compared to the one two years ago, I made that schedule way too hard for those kids, and it was way too hard for our kids. It was also way too hard for our parents. They could not understand. Talking about Jeff Jackson, Jeff Jackson rolls in the hoop fest. Well, the top eight, ten teams in the state, we go in there and we get beat by them. Played decent at time, but we got beat. Well, just nobody could understand we got beat. Well, I'm sorry. If you wanted me to win, I should have went and picked up some Class A school to open up the year and been the sacrificial lamb on that Friday night. I measure a lot of our wins and losses, or not winners and losses, but our success by, you know, how my kids do. I, I want to know that all my kids, after they graduate, where are they going to be? And one thing about that group I had two years ago, I had eight seniors on that team. There was kids that set the bench and never checked in that game hardly that started as sophomores at other schools. But by those kids, you could see they were going to be successful because if Cam Chumbler hit a three or Jared Burnett hit a three or whatever, that kid's down there swinging a towel on all fours, yelling and screaming. And I had a parent tell me one time, he said, we're more proud of our son this year, the way he cheers on his teammates from the bench, than what we ever were as him as a player. So you know that way, that kid's going to move on and be successful. It isn't all about him. That's the way I kind of measure my kids. I can look at the end of the year and say, these six seniors, I can see all six of them going to college and every one of them graduate. Then they've made the right – we've done the right thing with them all the way through. We, as coaches, we've got to watch trying to get the best out of a kid for basketball and cutting them loose at the end of the year. And that's something, and it's hard not to do sometimes. You just just get me to march with him. Maybe I can make a run at this regional tournament and just cut him loose and not worry about it. We failed as coaches. Kids failed, and honestly the parents did too because they allowed us to do that. Mm-hmm. When your kid misbehaves on the floor, don't sit there and find faults in somebody. Well, so-and-so does the same thing. Go down there and jerk a knot in your kid's butt right on the spot, because what's going to happen is that kid's not always going to get his way. When he gets in college, things ain't going to go his way. When he gets married, things aren't going to go his way. And then that's when you see kids, well, I'll just get a divorce, or I'll just quit. or I'll... But those kids need to learn how to handle that adversity. Yeah, and even in, in their careers, you know, yeah. they're going to run into – to failure in their careers. How do they deal with that? How do they do they act out? I mean, I think that's a great point you make. It is, and I just and that's what I get. I've got a son just like you do, and mm-hmm. I, that's the main thing I watch is how does he handle himself on the field or on the court. I don't want to hear you making excuses. I don't care if you don't make a shot, but don't blame anybody else. Mm-hmm. So I mean, we want to prepare those kids. First of all, be good academically. The 2014 team. I had a 28 on the ACT, a 26 on the ACT, a 25 on the ACT. That was three of the starting four top guards. <laughs> so those kids were so smart. And everybody always said, well, you know, how did you get those kids to play together like that? Because they were so smart. They seen past the simpleness of how many rebounds I got or how many points I got. They just saw past all that. You've been listening to part one of Max's interview with Berlin Brower. To hear the rest of the interview, click on to part two of Berlin Brower at DaxMyHand.com. <laughs>